0: uh, to live out the introduction to this sermon. It starts off this. I'll just go ahead and read it. Have you ever thanked God for your hardships and your failed plans? You know, what took it for me to learn this was a 24-hour visit to Bed Bath & Beyond. Maybe to say that's not something I really ever remember happening to me before. I usually don't get sick like that, and yet that sickness changed everything. Um, you know, as, as Richard kind of hinted, I was supposed to be out of town uh, for Friday and Saturday with my kids at Hidden Acres. That didn't work out. Uh, Melanie got a wonderful Mother's Day driving. Little bit of a, uh, you know, kind of, hey, I'll take the kids weekend. That changed. And certainly I didn't plan on feeling crummy for days on end. But you know what? Sometimes that's exactly what you need. Um, I say this only with a slight irony, but I had been thinking a lot over the past week over how my praying was something that I. failed plans your unanswered prayers what about the times when you tried to share the gospel and you were mocked in response or when your co-workers or or maybe your fellow students at school found out that you were a christian they started to treat you differently or affliction. Now I realize those are not the most popular prayer requests that we might have. Maybe they should be though. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles are arrested uh, because the high priest is jealous about how the Lord is using them instead of his own brand of, well, false religion miraculously, the Lord sends an angel to bring the apostles out of prison. And afterward, they they end up being confronted again by the high priest. And Peter gives this this bold speech in response to him. And you can imagine how that goes over. He and those with him are beaten, threatened, and only then let go. And how do the apostles respond to these trials, these hardships, these persecutions? How would would we respond? In 2023, I mean, wouldn't we maybe say something like, well, you know, maybe maybe they're not quite in God's will. Maybe he had something else for them, and and this is him getting their attention. Or, Or perhaps we would say something like, well, you know, if they would have just toned down their faith a little. Those might be the temptations, but neither of those are how the apostles see things here. Instead, Luke records for us in Acts 5, Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They suffered. They were put in prison. Even after they escaped, they were Recaptured, maybe we could say. They were beaten, mocked, only then released. And what is their response? They rejoice. Talk about otherworldly. I mean, talk about a, a, a change in mindset. They saw this persecution not as a sign that they were doing the for Jesus. No, instead they saw the exact opposite, that their afflictions meant that they were being identified with King Jesus. Do you see hardship in the same way? As we enter 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 this morning, The page in most of your Bibles, unless you have a study Bible. uh, Flip the page, you'll be in 2 Thessalonians. Uh, One of the central things that Paul praises the Lord for is faithfulness under pressure. That's why I chose the the picture that I did is you know, get all these pressure gauges. Should have gone down to our church's boiler. under pressure matters. How? Why? What's that look like? How do we have a a, a humble yet dependent on the Lord confidence when that pressure comes? Let's start to see a picture of that here. Again, we're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 this morning, starting from the very top. church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The verses that we're going to study today all relate to one uh, big connected theme, one challenging truth. Uh, Paul is writing to An encouragement to others. God's church being transformed in Christ's image to be an encouragement to others. And so we start here with God's church. That's what's going on here. This is what we saw him uh, getting after in First Thessalonians again and again. He was commending the church of the Thessalonians. Now here we're gonna read it again in this letter, the second letter. first two verses form the greeting, and I want you to see there's there's something very foundational about what Paul is assuming and reinforcing when he opens the letter with the words that that he chooses. These words speak of relationships with one another, relationships that are defined by having the one true God at the center of everything. Paul writes to the church of the Thessalonians in God. That is to say, he's not just writing to um, a group of people who calls themselves Christians. His words aren't meant to take on the sort of uh, individualistic tone that we're used to here in our time and place. Notice this letter is not just to one person. It's to the church. Paul is writing to God's church. And this letter is the arm of God's church that's located in Thessalonica. But it's not just for them, and it's not just about them. Friends, our, our hyper-self-centered and consumeristic culture struggles with this idea. Well, what do you mean that it's not you know customized and, and, and aimed and targeted right at me? You mean something that's broader than that can still matter? so we would be wise to realize, even from these first words of this letter, how perhaps we are influenced by our culture as well. Over the last few years, I've heard questions like these more and more often. me in the morning, you know, I'm not a morning person, why not just watch it later, you know, and then I've got to interact with people, I don't like people, or or maybe I do like people, but not those people, I mean, we'd never say that, maybe I'm joking, but a number of people in this nation have checked out of church, why go to church, Or, or perhaps even broader, does church even matter angle. I mean, pastor, I know how to read. I can study the Bible on my own. Why do I need a church? I mean, isn't a church just kind of a hanging on tradition sort of thing from way back when? You know, Kind of thanks, but no thanks. I don't need you to tell me about the Bible. Do we really need churches? Do they matter? Can't I just be a Christian without the church? Pastor, if only you knew how I had been burned in the past, the things I've seen. Like these. But I want to focus on just one this morning. The church matters because it's God's plan. That's why it matters, and I want you to notice something about that. It's His plan, regardless of your or my preferences, whatever surveys we would take, however we would say we want to structure church or not church or something like church. No, this is what. God it's his method and strategy for accomplishing his will in eternity. The church isn't simply an organization. We're not just a nonprofit. We're not just a religious group. No, the church is an expression of God's work in this world. That's what we're aiming at. That's what we're trying to to do and to be and to prize and to That's why a church matters. And so to be a part of Christ's church is a it's a blessing, not a burden. I don't mean that it's never difficult. I'm saying if we see it only as obligation, only as, as burden, then well then we need to flip things around, don't we? We need to have a revolution in our thinking. It's a blessing, not a burden, it's a joy, not a burden. So what does Paul then emphasize in this introduction to his letter? Well, it's that God has redeemed a people for himself. He has gathered them together into a group called the church, which exists to give glory to this Lord of salvation. That's what we do. That's our mission. How do we do that? Well, we do it by encouraging, training, and supporting what he's hoping for in the future of, of that church. What he trusts that the Lord will continue to do and give to his people. It's this. He hopes for grace and for peace. Those are our great needs. God's grace given to us in Christ. Peace with the Lord offered through the body and blood of Jesus. I just read a note by the small of his plans, his purposes, his priorities, rather than your own. God's church. God's church transformed. Look at verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly in the love of every one of you. in Christ's image. So if if God's church is to be transformed in Christ's image, then what does that look like? Paul answers. What looks like taking on the priorities of Jesus. Faith that is growing abundantly, love that is increasing. Uh, Let me highlight how radical this is. When was the last time that your favorite Christian author or musician or speaker or talk show host or blogger said that the church needs what they need most is to be characterized by a growing faith and an increasing love. In my experience, that's not very often. It's like we find every other answer that might be helpful So in my experience, what I more regularly hear is that we we need to talk more about boldness, about cultural change, about politics, about uh, leadership, um, about church growth, about all these things. And my point's not that they're necessarily wrong. Some of those can be quite good, actually, and even have biblical support. But instead, my point is that too often we we miss the foundation, the most important parts of. What's our mission? According to Matthew 28, it's to be and make disciples. Okay, well, how do we how do, we do that? Well, you don't have to go too much further. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and you get a snapshot, at least for how the early church was trying to do that. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, This is our, you know, mission statement, A.D. 40, let's say, what do they write down? Notice there's there's really nothing about the sorts of things that we so often prioritize, but instead it's ultimately devotion to the teachings. suppers in my and prayer. That's how they're living out the Great Commission. These were their practical answers of, uh, to the how of making disciples. And so for what we want of and in and for our church, I want to ask, is it acts shaped like this? And to whatever extent it, it is, how do we maintain that? And to whatever extent it's not, sit back and think, wow, God has been so good, and I feel like I'm I'm that you can help to follow Jesus with that kind of joyful passion this week? Uh, Maybe you answer, well, no. Pastor, I don't want to say it, but I don't really feel like I'm growing. uh, It keeps raining, it keeps watering. I feel like I'm getting watered in my soul, and there's just not much growth. Okay, well, why not? A little bit of evaluation. What's, What's standing in the way? Doing, I know it seems really basic, doesn't it? I mean, doesn't this almost seem like kind of kindergarten Christianity? Okay, yeah, we're supposed to grow in the faith and love others. Yeah, but those are foundational to everything. I mean, if that's not what we're pursuing, then all of our other efforts, our other ministries, our other priorities. what it looks like and why what for what's I mean, it's great to be transformed but what's the what's the mission behind that how is it not just well i've got mine spiritually maybe other people figure it out maybe they won't they can figure it out for themselves no god's church transformed by christ's image to be an encouragement to others look at verse 4 Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. There's where it is. Now things have come full circle from my introduction. There's where the pressure comes, because this last part is the most challenging, isn't it? I mean, up to this point, you, you could, you shouldn't, but you could almost go on autopilot. I, mean, I won't make you raise your hand, but admit it, sometimes you open the Bible, and especially a letter, and it always starts with, you know, who's writing and to who, and it has, you know, something about grace and peace. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you just kind of you know, skim through it. And then suddenly you get to verse 4, and, and everything comes to a screeching halt. Because you think, whoa, wait, this is not the, the happy-go-lucky everything's awesome introduction that I thought it would be. Wait, you mean what Paul is is boasting about is how these people are faithfully suffering? This is going to be a different kind of letter, isn't it? Why is Paul giving thanks? Let's start there. Why does he feel compelled to offer such thanks to the Lord for, for his work, that is to say God's work, That answer comes in two parts. First, it's because of their steadfastness. The Thessalonians didn't have it easy. Remember back in our history here, Paul and those with him were run out of town after they had come to share the gospel. And the persecution, we read in 1 Thessalonians, didn't end there. It continued. And yet these Christians didn't give up. They didn't let that dissuade them. They didn't think, ah, easier not to follow this Jesus. No. No, instead they, they, they dug in. They didn't turn bitter. They didn't turn their backs on Jesus. Instead, they counted these pressures as part and parcel of what it meant to follow Jesus. Friends, somehow we have got to get there as God's people to say that it's worth It's uncomfortable, and we don't like it. And I'm not saying we have to like it. But I am saying it's the reality of what is right now. And so our question needs to be this. Will we count the blessings of, of Christ as being worth the pressures, the trials, the temptations, the persecutions of this world? Only by doing that will we have joy in Christ. At least that's the example I see from these early Secondly, Paul speaks of their faith, which endured hardship, a faith that went deeper than the hope of good life and blessings in the here and now, because they weren't getting those. And so I wonder then, where does all this leave us? What points us to a very different place than we might think? The world continues to rapidly change. Uh, Christianity is no longer the default, not even here in the wonderfully sane Midwest. Our culture has changed so much that Christians can't even count on being ignored anymore. You know, it used to be if nothing else, folks would just think you're kind of weird. Oh, you're a Christian. Okay, whatever. No, that's not even a given anymore. So often, if you're a Christian, you're being actively opposed cake bakers and shops who are on the front lines anymore. It's, hey, you didn't use the right pronoun in your letter that you just wrote there. How dare you? There is pressure, there is opposition on every level. And so, friends, what do we do now? I hear some folks who are just to be angry, to be militant, to, to get on the war path. I never see those examples. never the response, even when lives are threatened and taken. That's not what we see the church doing. Other influencers think that if Christians would just give up on the parts of the Bible the culture doesn't like, well, then it would go better for us. You know, what's interesting to me is if you look at any of the, the large nationwide surveys, the denominations that have given up scriptures that do not hold to it as god's word are all shrinking rapidly clearly that's not a path to somehow being accepted or growing and i want you to also notice never again do we see that answer given did. That's what following our master looks like. And that very well may result in persecution, but that's not abnormal. What's far more normal is what we see here in 2 Thessalonians. God's say high-minded things, we could could have some sort of rousing speech and all, yes, yes. But ultimately, the only way that we can embrace these marching orders is if we ask the Lord to grow our faith, to make us steadfast in our love, to make us faith-filled and joyful in our neighborhoods, when we talk to our neighbors, our bosses, fellow students at school, salt and light in our places of work and in our home That are never perfect. Each one of us always in process, never having arrived this side of your son's return. Lord, in the midst of that messiness, that that we are called to bring this gospel to. Heavenly Father, work in us that we would be willing to count the cost, even even joyfully standing firm upon what you have said, not simply to be stubborn or traditional or even...